So today, Romans 6. Uh, we're going to read, we've been in the book of Romans for quite some time, and uh, it's it's been several weeks. So for those who have been coming, uh, a lot of this is going to be review, and obviously for uh, the new folks here today, uh, this will be new for you. But I want to read verses 11 through 14 to begin today, and, and we probably will not get past that today. We're going to, we're setting up, we're setting up for verse 15 and beyond uh, today with, with what we're reviewing for today. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to pause there for a minute. He's talking to the children of God. That's who he's talking to right here. So, so likewise, you, you children, you boarding in believers, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. And Lord, as we come, just a simple prayer of, Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And perhaps most importantly, who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake, and in His name I pray. Amen. Amen. Chase, could you just put verse 11 up by itself? Likewise, <clears throat> this passage is, is a transition. And uh, we're, we're coming to that first verse of verse 12, which is, I believe, the first exhortation in the book of Romans, which when, when I read that in someone's commentary, I, I could hardly believe that. But he has been setting everything up to this point to tell us now, therefore, because of everything I've said so far, this is how you should act and respond. So likewise, even so, knowing and fully believing in everything that Paul has said up to this point. And this is crucial. It's crucial, child of God, for you to understand who you are. It's crucial for you to be able to do everything Past this, you need to have a very firm foundation of knowing who you are and who God is and who Christ is in you. Because the only way that we can live as we should, the only way that we can fight the fight of faith that we should, because we can't do it of our own strength. We sang the song this morning, the arm of flesh will fail. It must be in His strength. And so we, we must have a firm foundation of who we are in Christ. So likewise, you also reckon. That's an accounting term. We've talked about that quite a bit. It doesn't, 
you know, we may hear that we don't use that word uh, almost uh, maybe in slang. Well, I reckon so. Now, that's probably about the only time we would use that. And so we, when we read it here, it's like, well, that just means just kind of think about it and, or something it, real casual. It's not. It's not that. It's not, it's not a casual thing. It, it's reckon to truly consider and know, to count it as so, to count it as fact, you see. To know this is a reality. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Child of God, may we know for certain some facts that Jesus died for sin. That's a fact. And, and all who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, all who have by faith believed, repented of their sin, and received Christ, have been united with Christ and are now in Christ. For every believer here this morning, and or who may listen to this, I hope you grasp that you are in Christ. We have been united with Christ in His death, and through Him, we have the penalty of our sins paid in full. Amen? Sin is no longer our master. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are now a new creation in Christ. We are no longer under the reign of sin and death in Adam. You see, you'll have to go back and read those first five chapters to understand what all of that is. Because he's talking about all were born on the face of this planet from the seed of Adam except one. And who was that? Jesus Christ wasn't born of the seed of man, of Adam, born of God. Had to be the perfect one. Everyone else on the face of this planet born a lineage, a heritage that goes all the way back to Adam. And in Adam, all die. All die. It's a fact. All die. And, and not only physically die, but at that moment, when at the fall, in the Garden of Eden... We died spiritually. So all in Adam are dead. Oh yeah, you, we're, we're walking around this flesh and we're going to be talking about that later. But in all reality, you've heard that phrase, dead men walking, that's who we are, apart from Jesus Christ. So we are, we are, our sin's no longer a master, we're a new creation, we're no longer under the reign of sin and death in Adam. Uh, Paul had talked about that earlier. But we are now under the reign of grace. The reign of grace and eternal life in Christ. Do you believe that? So I'm going to ask that a lot today. Because you need to have a, a, a firm conviction in the midst of this. Our old man was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Child of God, we have been justified by grace through faith. No longer under the law, but now under grace. Once an enemy of God, but now a child of God. Once a slave to sin, but now a slave to righteousness. 
once under the wrath of God, but now, having been set free, there is therefore now no what? Condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, everyone on the face of this planet is one of two things. And, and I say that a lot here because it's true. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either still under the law or you're under grace. You're either born again or you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. There's no other category. And, and as I thought about that, we're not going to go there and read it today, but Jesus laid that down in, in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't He? He, he laid that down. Um, here, here's what Jesus said, and you can go into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, you can read all this. Uh, this is from Matthew 7. But it, it says, remember He talked about the wide gate, and the wide path, the wide road that leads to what? Destruction. But then there's a narrow gate and, and a narrow, difficult way. He said, only two ways. Only two ways. And he said, there's the good tree that bears good fruit. And then there's the bad tree that bears what? Bad fruit. There's only two trees. There's the one who's built his house upon the solid rock. And then there's the one who built his house on the sand. There's only two. There's only two. So Jesus was laying that same foundation that Paul keeps coming to that I talk about a lot. There's only two possibilities. And so that, that's why we stand and we preach so that you might know where you are. For the born again believers saved by grace through faith. Paul says, sin shall not have dominion over you. You are dead indeed to the penalty of sin. You understand what I'm saying when I say that? The penalty of sin. For those who are, who are under the law, those who die without Christ, they will stand condemned. They will suffer the penalty for their sin. But for us who are born again, who took our sin? Jesus. Jesus bore the wrath that was deserved for us. He, it's, it's our sin was imputed, laid upon Him, and in return for those who are born again, what did Christ give us? Righteousness. Imputed righteousness. We will stand before God the Father one day, those who are in Christ, clothed not in a robe of righteousness of our own doings. Uh, we read the Scripture this morning. Not by my righteous acts, but by Christ. So I will was, I was stand in a robe of righteousness that Christ has put upon me, that I did not earn, that I did not deserve. And that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died and paid in full the payment for my sin and your sin. All sins, past, present, and future, Jesus has paid the penalty for every believer. Sin shall not have dominion over us any longer. The penalty has been taken care of for the child of God. Do we still deal with sin while we're walking on planet earth? Yes. Yes, we do. The child of God, have a firm understanding of your identity in Christ. Because that's what all this is talking about. This firm identity of who we are in Christ. So that we might live out who we are.
because that's what we're called to do. Uh, put uh, the Romans, I think, just put verses 12, 14 all back up. Therefore, in light of everything that was said, therefore, do not let sin reign in your, what? Mortal body. That you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. I want you to see how Paul has set all this up. To be able to do what is asked of us in these verses hinges on everything that was said before. I believe a great key to living the Christian life lies in first knowing that God has taken us out of Adam and has joined us to Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. The first step in our growth in holiness is to count as true what God has done for us. To count as true what God has done for us. In knowing that we've been taken out of Adam and joined with Christ, in knowing that we're no longer subject to the reign of sin and death, and that's what Paul has been talking about, the reign of sin and death that was in Adam. But now for the born-again believers, we are transferred into the kingdom of God's abounding love. So therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. Mortal body. What's he talking about? This flesh, this flesh and blood that we're walking in around. Is this flesh redeemed? Even if you're a child of God, is our flesh redeemed? No. No. This flesh is, is going to go back to the dust of the earth. What is redeemed? The new man, the spiritual, the spiritual, the spiritual. So, so what's he saying? Don't let sin reign by succumbing in this mortal body to lusts and desires of this mortal body. Peter makes a very similar appeal. Uh, Let's read it again in 1 Peter 2nd chapter, verses 9 through 11. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who were once not a people but now, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Let me pause there for a minute. Do you you get that? He's talking about those who are born again. Now we are a royal priesthood because of Christ. Christ, our great high priest. We're a special people. And we're to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and is into His marvelous light. Because that's that, that's that other, another category that you could throw in there. You either are still in your darkness or you are in the light of Christ. He has called us out. <laughs> Lazarus in the tomb. Jesus called him out. Every one of us were once dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what it says in Ephesians, doesn't it? Dead. 
Can dead men respond? No. But by a touch and a call from God, we can. Jesus called, come. No one comes to the Father except by me. When Jesus says, come, the grave clothes fall off and we're raised to newness of life in Christ. A new spiritual creation. Something that we never were before because we were dead spiritually, but now made alive in Christ. Once we're not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Man, that's great. Beloved, I beg you, as Peter says, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, why does he use such a terminology as that? Because our citizenship is not here. Where's our citizenship, child of God? It's already in heaven. If you're born again, you're citizen. Oh yeah, you're still a citizen of the United States and you're still walking around in this flesh on this planet. Yeah, yeah, but, but we've got a new citizenship and it's in heaven. So, so, so Peter says, you, you are sojourners and pilgrims. This is not your home. Your home is waiting. What's he say? Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from what? Fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Look, Look at the terminology Peter uses. He said it's a war. Fleshly lusts, the sinful desires of this mortal body, causes conflict within us. Amen? It does. And Peter likes it to a condition of war. Fleshly lust within war against the soul. Galatians, 5th chapter, verses 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit. In other words, be led by the Spirit of God that is in you. If you're born again, do you have the Spirit of God in you? Yes, you do. Because Paul will also say in Romans, if you do not have the Spirit, you're not His. So if you have the Spirit of God in you, then walk according to the Spirit. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you believe that? When we have set our mind on things above and we are focused upon Him, can anything disrupt that? when we're truly focused on Him. From what I read there, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh if we're walking in the Spirit, according to the Spirit. See, that, that's the kind of verse you need, to, you need to hold on to and believe it is true. And God's Word is true. Because if you're walking, and I'm walking as we should, will not fall. But it's only when we take our eyes off of Him and let it go to something else then lust and a multitude of temptations can take root. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now listen to this. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you 
do not do the things you wish. I'm, again, going to venture to say that's talking to every one of us that's in here. You ever stumble into a temptation and, and succumb to it? I want to read that passage from Romans 7 because this is where we're going to be going in a few weeks. Uh, Paul, he's going to keep talking about these things. In Romans 7, verses 18 through 25. Now, let the Word of God encourage you this morning. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, For I know that in me, and then, then he qualifies what he's talking about, that is in my flesh. So what's he talking about? He's talking about his mortal body. So you have to understand that because that's what he's been talking about before and that's what he's still talking about here. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in other words, this mortal body, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what, it, what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. But if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me. Is the prince of the power of the air still on the face of this planet? Yes. The evil is, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Now, th now this is where I take, this has got to be a regenerate man. Because who else can delight in the law of God? Can an unsaved person do that? No. The Word of God, the, the, the Gospel of Christ is foolishness. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Now he's talking about the inward, the spiritual man you see. In his body of flesh, nothing good. But the inward man delights in the law of God. But I see another law in my members. And I, I believe he's talking about mortal body. We're going to be talking about this in a little bit. I, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Now isn't this what Peter said? We just read. A condition of war. Now here Paul says it. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, wretched mortal, who will deliver me from this body of death, this mortal body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. And he's talking about that battle, that continuous battle that we're all going to face every day. While yet in this mortal body of flesh, we remain in a battle with sinful lusts and desires. I read a quote from John MacArthur a few weeks ago. It fits so good here. I wanted to read it again. Quote, John MacArthur. Because a believer is a new creature in Christ, his immortal soul is forever beyond sin's reach. You got that? Our immortal soul the spiritual man. The only remaining beachhead where sin can attack a Christian is in his mortal body. One day that body will be glorified and forever be out of sin's reach. 
Someday, we're not there yet, but someday we will be out of sin's reach. But in the meanwhile, it is still mortal. That is, subject to corruption and death. It still has sinful lusts because the brain and the thinking processes are part of the mortal body. And Satan uses those lusts to lure God's people back into sin in whatever ways he can. End quote. That's a pretty good summary of it, isn't it? The Satan is trying to lure us back. Trying to lure us back. But know this. Now, now listen to this. Sin has no power to control a believer unless the believer chooses to obey its lust. Correct? Sin has no power to control a believer unless the believer chooses to obey its lust. Verse 12 in Romans 6. You may think, man, you keep hounding this home. How important is this, though? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. I know I've talked about this, but I'm going to mention these things again. Because God has given us desires, has He not? And they're good. They're good. They're basically good desires. And I mentioned a few things. And one was, when we're hungry, we have a desire for food. That's a good thing. We need food. We need nourishment. But when sin gets involved, it can become... Gluttony, no self-control, just eat and eat and eat and it'll almost become an idol. You, you see what happens when sin takes hold. How about when you're thirsty and you desire drink? That's good. We need to be hydrated. That, that's a good thing. But what happens when sin takes control of it? It can turn into alcoholism can turn into addiction. How about this? How about the desire for sexual satisfaction? Oh, don't talk about that. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing within the bonds of marriage. It brings children and marital joy. That's a good thing and a good desire. But what happens when sin gets a hold of it? Then it... it, takes the temptation and takes it into the realm of fornication and adultery and homosexual relations or or pornography addiction. Do you you see what happens when sin comes and takes control of desires that on the surface are good? Even a desire for rest and sleep, which we need to refresh our our bodies, can be drawn into and turned into slothfulness and just laziness. Sin can take good desires and turn the members of our body into instruments of unrighteousness. Uh, Let's put up 12, add verse 13, 12 and 13. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, We've been reading it several times. It's talking about the members of your body. What's it talking about? 
Well, it's talking about our hands, our feet, with our eyes, all the parts of our body. You know what I'm saying? All the parts of our body. Do not present them to be used as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not allow them to be used by Satan and temptation. Do not put them at the disposal of sin, to be used by sin. Now, I want us to remember this, and, and this is something new that I haven't talked about yet. But in the book of James, and you, some of you, as soon as I say James, you know what I'm getting ready to say. What does James say is the most deadly member in our body? The tongue. The tongue. The most deadly weapon of unrighteousness is the tongue. Let's read it today in James 3, verses 5 through 10. James 3, 5 through 10. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it's talking in the same language as Paul has been talking about, members of her body. It, it is a little member, member of her body, and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Think about that. What we say. The tongue is the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man, you get that? No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. We've been made in God's image, in other words. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Maybe th this I know. That, that when I, I get up here and the Lord has given me all these things to talk about, I know, I know that He has something in particular for everyone here if they will listen and have ears to hear. And perhaps for some of you, it's this portion right here. You've let your speech get out of hand. And when you let your speech get out of hand, what happens to your Christian witness? Our tongue. What an instrument. What, what, what a member of our body that could be used for such unrighteousness. In James, the first chapter, verses 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In Proverbs, 
49, verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. What's it mean, hasty in his word? Well, it's the same thing that James was talking about. He's quick to respond. Don't do that. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. Don't be hasty in your speaking and your response. In other words, stop and think. Everybody just hear that? Say amen. Stop and think. A grandkid sitting back here, did you hear that just this week when we had our little devotion? To stop and think before you speak. Man, there's a lesson to teach your children. Sometimes you need to put your hand up and say, whoa, 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 just stop talking. And you need to start thinking right now before you say another word of how this is all going to turn out. Right? Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Ephesians 4 verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Talking about our speech. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to its hearers. See, in our speech, we want, we want to impart grace. Be slow to speak. Don't be hasty in your words. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. In other words, stop. Take a moment. Take a breath. Think. Before you speak, before I speak, before you respond and react, because there you go. How often does our hasty response and reaction to something cause us to say or do something that we're going to regret later? You, you, You ever been there? Something flares up at the moment, catches you off guard, and boom! Words fly. We need to take a moment before we respond or react to any situation. They will learn to stop and think, what will my words and actions accomplish? Will my words be hurtful or will they be helpful? Will my words encourage or discourage the hearer. Before we speak or act, stop and think. Stop and think. Does, does the Word of God say anything about our thinking? Yeah, it does. But let, let's keep going. Philippians 4, verses 8. What's the Word of God say about our thinking? I think this we need to reflect on this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think on these things. There's your list. There's your one of Paul's lists. Let's go to another portion that, that, that I, I, I read this here a lot. and We talk about this a lot here in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, do you see how often Paul's message 
in all these different letters is the same. For though we walk in the flesh, in this mortal body, the same thing he's talking about in Romans. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Spiritual. Spiritual battle. So often, I know you've perhaps heard it said, it's it's a battle for our mind, for our thinking. Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's why we need to know the Word of God. It's our food, which we're spiritually strengthened. We need to know the Word and what the Word of God says, so when something tries to exalt itself up above that, we can say, oh, no, no, no. No, the Word of God says this. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What's that mean? Well, I believe it means that when we are tempted to believe something that is not true according to the Word of God, or perhaps when we are tempted by lust, or when we're tempted to commit sin, that we must take those thoughts captive and say, oh, no, no, no. I know that's what you're trying to tell me, but the Word of God says this, that I'm to abstain from this. And that He has given me the power through Him to do that. So it, it's, it's to be able to stop these thoughts in their tracks and to say no. And, and, the, and the, when I say that, some people say, well, it's my willpower. My willpower, I can do that. I can say no with my strength and my willpower. No, it's not just that. In saying no, it's because you have first said yes to Christ and you're saying yes to God and you're saying yes to His truth to such a degree that it just is a natural overflow for us to say no to these things. Do you get that? It's our great desire for Him that should cause us to have that within us to be able to say no, to act and respond and speak as a child of God should. Put that Romans 6, 12 through 14 up one more time. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. Yield yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, I want us to jump to Romans 12, first two verses. And think about what Paul is saying here. He has said this in chapter 6. We're going to jump over six chapters. What's he saying? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. He's still talking about it, folks. That you present your mortal body as a living sacrifice. To place it 
on the sac the altar, a living sacrifice to him, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to do this. I, I want to chase. We're going. To, we're going to jump a little bit here. Go. Go to Romans thirteen. Let, let's keep going. I want. To, here's. Here's the train of thought with the Apostle Paul. Let's keep following it down through here, because he's been talking about how we should live and and how we should stand and and how we do battle and the spiritual battle and and how we're to not let the enemy take over the members of our body. Don't surrender. Your, the members of your body to be used as instruments of unrighteousness. And now here in Romans 13, verses 11 through 14, listen to this, listen to this. And, and do this, child of God, do this. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. But again, Perhaps this is speaking to someone today. You've been just kind of sitting back and cruising. And perhaps the Lord is saying, it's time to wake up. It's, to, it's time to get back in the battle. It's time to quit allowing the members of your body to be used as instruments of unrighteousness. Awake out of your spiritual slumber. For now our salvation is nearer than we, we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. To fulfill its lust. He said it in what we know as chapter 6. He talked about it in 12. He talked about it in between 2. But we're chapter 13 here and he's still talking about it. Is this important? Yes, any time in the Word of God you have something and it keeps hounding on it over and over and over, rest assured that's important. But put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. Well, preacher, I yeah, I've messed up. We all have. And we all will. Am I going to live the rest of my days perfect? I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to. But I know my track record, and you know yours. So may we remember this when we stumble and fall. First John one nine. First John one nine. This is great. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think this is for the child of God. 
because it's just been talking about don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. And there are times when we're going to do that. But He is faithful. We're His child. At that moment, we're a disobedient child. And this I know, this I know, He'll not leave us out there, will He? He'll not leave us out there. What's the Word of God say? The, the one lost sheep, the one that is strayed away from the fold, He'll leave the ninety and nine, and He'll go for that lost one, the one who's strayed away. And, and, and if you stray away, oh, you may be out there for a little while, but I guarantee you this, He'll come for you. And in that coming for you, there may be some discipline involved in bringing you back. Consequences of our sin could be there. But aren't you thankful that He's a loving, gracious, heavenly Father? What shall separate us from His love? Nothing. We're always His child. Nothing can take us away from that. It's just at times we're a disobedient child. And when we fall into disobedience and sin, remember this. Confess our sins. If we confess our sins, that's in a, that's in a verb tense in the Greek that means keep on confessing. If we keep on confessing, because we, we need to, I need to, keep on confessing. And He will cleanse us. Lift us up by His mighty hand that we may continue on with Him. And, and that's for the believers. But what about if there's an unbeliever that's here today or an unbeliever that would not listen to this sermon? You know, the, the question, if I put it this way, have you put on the Lord Jesus? Have you forsaken sin? Have you come to realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Is the Lord calling to you? In other words, are you saved? Because here's what the Word says in John 3, verses 14 through 18. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now pause there just for a second. That's from the book of Numbers where, where the, the Lord had sent disobedience he sent fiery serpents that came and was biting people you remember, you remember that story and and they were dying and they were dying and they, and they cried out well ask god to do something ask god to do something and, and the lord told him to, to to make a a bronze serpent put it on a pole and lift it up the very thing that was killing them they may, he was told to make an image of it and lift it up. And then what did it say? Then the people look to that and they'll live. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross and God made Him who knew no sin to be what? Sin for us. Again, so that we, we might live. The very thing that is condemning all of mankind to condemnation, sin, God placed on Jesus Christ and He was lifted up. And what we must do now is look. Look to Him, all you ends of the earth, ends of the earth and be ye saved. 
We look to Him who was lifted up, the one who became sin, took the wrath, took the punishment of God for all who would believe. For God, let me start again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All who believe, they'll not perish. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't, did He? The world was already condemned. Understand that. The world was already condemned. So God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's why Jesus came. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. How important is the answer to that question, do you believe? Truly believe. A belief unto salvation by grace through faith. Not just a belief that is no better than the demons who believe and tremble because they know their end. They know where they're headed. You see what I'm saying? Now let's go back to Romans. Because here's in the midst of all of this, in the midst of everything that Paul is saying and saying and saying, here you have this in Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved? What's that mean? Saved from what? Here, I'm going to tell you. You listening? Saved from the wrath of God that will one day fall on all unbelievers. That's what you're going to be saved from. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give You thanks for Your Word. And, and Lord, I pray that in my stumbling and bumbling around, Lord, that, that You have brought truth to the ears of the listeners today. Father, if I said anything that wasn't truth, cause it to be just striked from their memory. But Lord, let your, every time I was reading Your Word, Your Scripture, let that sink deep. And Father, should there be one who would listen to this who is yet lost in their sin, who is still far from You, who is still dead in their trespasses and sins, Lord, I pray by a miracle of mercy, Lord, by a miracle that only You can perform, that, Father, You would open their eyes, that they might see You, that You would call them, Lord. And Lord, that they may see you high and lifted up, holy, most holy God. And in seeing a, a just a, a vision of you and who you are in your holiness, they would see their sin. They would be broken before you, confessing their sin, believing Christ died for their sin. 
believing and receiving Christ and then turning from their sin and following you, Lord, the rest of their days. So, Father, perform a miracle of mercy. And, Lord, for us who have been born again, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to take everything that we've heard from your word today and put it into practice. Help us, Lord, to to fight the spiritual fight, the battle that rages between this mortal body and the new spiritual person inside. Lord, help us always to look to You and knowing who we are in Christ and keeping a a vision to things above that we have set our mind on Christ, that, Lord, that will keep us from falling. (laughs) But, Lord, when we do, I am so thankful that You are gracious and kind and forgiving when we confess our sins to You. So, Father, if there's a child of God here today and needs to confess some sins, Lord, I pray that You would open all our eyes to see see those areas in our life that maybe we've let our guard down a little bit, or maybe a lot. And You've asked us, according to Your Word, to awaken from our slumber. Take up the armor of God and stand. So, Lord, help us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.